0: Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall.
1: And I'm Adam Vingan at Adam Vingen.
0: We got a big show planned for you guys today. Potential playoff matchups, the teams that we think match up well with Nashville and the teams that we think don't match up well with Nashville, which would, I guess, be the positive side of things for Predators fans. So we'll do that a little bit later on. There's some records that are being chased, but not the records you think for the Nashville Predators. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. Um, uh, some UC Soros news and notes and statistics. Is he rounding into form at the exact right time? Maybe some players that are a little undervalued. I know you wrote about Philip Tomasino on The Athletic, so go pay for good journalism. Go to theathletic.com and read up on some of those players. Uh, but we will begin today with the last week of action, I think, defines who this Nashville Predators team is. They are who they are, and we'll get into an explanation of all of that here uh, right out of the gate. Before we do that, however adam bingen the gold standard is in fact brought to you by the wonderful folks at
1: jaspers where a kid can be a kid
0: (laughs) i like that uh you absolutely can go be a kid you can play air hockey they got a game room that's all free the parking is free and still phenomenal predators drink specials during home and road games free parking three dollar beers domestics and a ten dollar smash burger that is spectacular you can get all of that at Jaspers as well as the gold standard cocktail named after this here podcast as well. Make sure you are, as I mentioned, paying for good journalism at The Athletic, going to Jaspers to eat, especially during Preds games, but also check out and click all the buttons that we ask you to click here at the the network. Go to the YouTube page, go to the socials, do all that great stuff, share the product. We really, really appreciate all of your support here on the gold standard and at 440 Sports. We really, really do. So, all right, go to Jaspers, everybody. Adam. I felt like the last week since we talked last week, this team has gone 2-1-1. They beat Ottawa by one in a pretty hotly contested game. They get beat by Florida pretty handily, 4-1 on Saturday, a Florida team that is maybe the hottest team and one of the best in the entire world. They lose 3-2 in overtime to Pittsburgh in a pretty tightly played game, but Pittsburgh's a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. And then they win in overtime 1-0, against a very bad San Jose team where UC Saros plays brilliantly. I feel like this is the entire season for the Nashville Predators encapsulated into a four-game stretch, that this is just who they are. They're very entertaining. They have a lot of records that they're setting. Yossi's having a historic season. They're really fun. They're young. There's new things to celebrate as a Predators fan. But basically... They beat two bad teams by one goal each. They got blown out by the best team they played, and they lost in overtime to a pretty good middle of the middle class team in the Eastern Conference in Pittsburgh. Does that make does that does this analogy make sense to you? That this last week is sort of just this is just who the Preds are. They're two one and one. They can't beat the good teams, and they beat the bad teams.
1: I guess so. Um, the four one decision against the Panthers. I think there were two empty net goals. So it was a one-goal game for the majority of the game. And the Predators did a good job of stifling, for the most part, the highest-scoring team in the league. Um, I believe the Panthers were averaging more than four goals per game at the time. And they did score four, but only two on a goalie. Um, So I thought the Predators did an adequate job of of keeping the Panthers off the board, though John Hines was certainly not pleased with the effort after the game. Um, The effort in Pittsburgh was much better. Um, At the end of the day, the Penguins have Sidney Crosby and the Predators do not. (laughs) Um, You know, that's a game I think they, they probably should have come out of with two points, but they did get one. Um, So a, a, a moral victory, I guess you could say. Um, the game against San Jose could have been potentially disastrous. They were dominating play. Um, it seemed like the Sharks barely had the puck all night. Uh, the Predators doubled them up in shots, I think, um, through through regulation. I think it was 40-20. to 20. Um, And the Sharks actually had the better chances in overtime um, than the Predators, but... Uh, Ryan Johansson cracked Capo Kockinen, um at the end of the game to to get that much needed second point. Um, so yeah, I guess you could say, you know, this is this is a um, an accurate reflection of who they are. They can uh, control the uh, dregs of the league, the Sharks and such. Um, they can play with, you know, the middle class, I guess you could say, like Pittsburgh. Um, and they can give top teams like Florida a good game. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the talent discrepancy um, will uh, bear itself out. I mean, on the Panthers' first power play unit, I was counting it the other day. You know, they it had like, it was Barkov and Uberdo and Giroux. <laughs> and it was basically an all-star team out there. Um, you know, the Panthers are are awesome. And I was reading an interesting story um, about, you know, their playoff chances and whether or not teams that rely so heavily on offense, you know, can win in the, in the postseason. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, <laughs> you know, it really, you know, when you look at the rest of the schedule, you know, this was, I think, one of three games they had 10 games left, including last night. And it was one of three against teams, not in playoff position. The other two, they play Chicago on Saturday and they play Arizona in the season finale. Every other team that they're facing is a playoff team. Um, so, so
0: a lot, a lot of which are either first round matchup or second round matchup teams,
1: right? They play Calgary twice. Um, and and right now it appears that the Flames are the Predators' likeliest first-round opponent if they do make the playoffs, um, followed by the Avalanche. Um, but they also have another game against Minnesota, um, which could be a second-round matchup. St. Um, St. Louis. St. Louis as well. Um, you know, we talked about this last week about whether or not you know the anecdotal evidence of this team getting up for big games. Um, is reflected in the win-loss record. Um, I think last night showed... I mean, the Sharks are not, you know, a a good team this year, but the the desperation was there for the Predators last night. Um, They could have easily had four or five goals, I feel like, in regulation. They hit a couple posts. They had had very... uh, They had multiple, you know, high-quality chances. Um, So... You know the, the you know, Kapo Kakinen played a fantastic game. You know, if it were a lesser goalie, um, actually, Kakinen's not had a good season, and um, he was traded uh, because of it, he, but he played brilliantly on Tuesday, though. Yeah, he was he was fabulous. Um, you know, so, he was, so was Soros,
0: so, so was Soros, he was pretty good too. No, he,
1: yeah, Soros was you know, lights out, um, obviously got the shutout. Uh, made some huge saves, couple breakaway chances, especially one in the overtime. I think it was Hurdle who had the chance in overtime. Um,
0: yeah, so I've got some Soros numbers for us in just a second to get to, but it, it to me it's like, and I don't know if the postseason is going to allow us to define the success or failure of this team or not. Because clearly making the playoffs was was above expectations for you and I in particular and for Vegas, right? Like, and I don't mean the Knights. I mean, like, gambling on the Predators. That making the playoffs and being a wildcard team, but also being the top wildcard team, is certainly a success story in the grand scheme of where we thought this organization was. But at the end of the day, to, and, and I'm, I've, I will be as guilty as anybody that has raved about all these records. Yossi, by the way, congratulations. He gets to 87 points. He is now the all-time single season record holder for points and counting Forsberg and Duchesne are going to have 40 goals and every whoever wins that race is going to have the single season record there's we've talked about all the other records that are that are happening it is a fun young team with a lot of new pieces and faces It, it is the next generation of Predators hockey they are breaking all kinds of records really you know players having historically good seasons for their own careers Johansson Duchesne Colton Sissons is setting personal records. You know what I mean? Like, all these guys are doing all this stuff. UC Starbucks is leading the NHL in wins with 36 wins. All of this is ta- all this stuff is happening, but they're still just... They just are what they are. They are a top, good, quality wildcard team, but they are not better than a wildcard team. I, I think that is what we've learned over the last... At least the last week, if not the last two months. Now, they are 5-2-1 and one in their last seven, and I think the hope is that you're going to play better down the stretch, but we'll see. I just... I think you can be both. You can be just a, a solid, good wildcard team and also break all these records that they're breaking. I think those things can exist at the same time.
1: But it is an interesting situation um, because of you know everything that has gone right this season. Um, and, and my colleague and our friend Joe Rexroad wrote a column about this um, following Saturday's loss to the Panthers about go back to October and, and tell someone that Roman Yossi would be on the precipice of 100 points, um, that Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg would flirt with 40 goals each, that Tanner Janot would be the highest-scoring rookie in the NHL, that UC Saros would be the, uh, you know, from a starts-and-win standpoint, uh, top you know, at the top of the league, um, and the power play would, would be, you know, an actual threat, um, all of those things we would have, we would, we probably would have said that they were at least challenging for a division title um, or at least making it, you know, making it interesting, maybe finishing in second place. Um, But, you know, it, it bears it, you know, that's the question that I think a lot of fans have on, on their minds right now is, you know, with all of these things going right, you know why why is it that you know the predators you know are most likely to make the playoffs but it hasn't been decided with two weeks left in the season um you know I have you know I have a couple theories i haven't I haven't dug into the numbers too much. It might be worth doing um but yeah i, I think you
0: well, know the what predators, can you can you can you float like the beginnings of the theories because I've got a
1: couple myself honestly i I, I think. it it comes down. I think it comes down to two players. Um, it comes down to two players that, you know, stand out to me. Um, and that's Ellie Tolvinen and Luke Cunnan. Um, really? Yeah. I, I think that the two of them have been, you know, have struggled to generate offense. I mean, let me, I'm pulling up their I'm pulling up the goals right now. Um, so they've combined for 21 goals this season um i'm looking and that was so that's 21 goals this season but that's uh, but
0: this is the highest scoring team maybe in predators history right like i i don't think
1: I, on average i i think what what's missing maybe i can extrapolate a little bit further is um you know the the, the first line which you know, which was for a for a good portion of time Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne, you know, was carrying a lot of the load. And it made me think back to the twenty eighteen playoffs. And I think we've talked about this. Now this a sort of stream of consciousness thinking here. Um, you know, the Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidson line played well. Um, the the Sissons Benito, Watson line played well. And the Fiala-Tura-Smith line was missing in action. Um, and similarly, Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne were playing very well. Trent and Sissons and Janot was playing very well. And uh, Tolvenin, Granlund, and Cunnan were missing in action. Um, I just think that without a consistent secondary scoring threat, um, that they're going to have a hard time. Um you know, again, completely anecdotal, man, but it just—it just feels man, that's, that's,
0: that's that's a lot. That's a lot to put on. You're putting a lot of like, why didn't this team finish second in the division on a on, on like a couple of like super young wingers that don't play I'm on not, the top line? I'm
1: not, I'm not. blaming them. I'm not putting all of the blame on them. But when I'm thinking, okay, what, what I'm thinking that if if Tolvinen had Fifteen to twenty goals, and and Cunning had fifteen to twenty goals, versus what they currently have. I I think this team would be in a more comfortable spot again. Okay. Let, there's less. I mean, it's worth really looking into. But if you were let, to, let ask, me, yeah, let me
0: give you my counterpoint then to that. All right, because yeah. you're not you're not wrong that Tolvanen and Cunning have not quote unquote lived up to expectations. Right? Like, there's no there's no arguing that. I'm not arguing that at all. This is the highest scoring team probably in, in franchise history. They're seventh in the NHL in power play. They're going to have potentially, if Trennan can score a couple of goals and Yossi gets a goal, they're going to have six 20-goal scores, two forty 40-goal scores. Tanner Janot is going to, like, they, they've got secondary scoring. Just because it's not them doesn't, to me, that's not, to me the issue is this is one of the worst defensive teams in Predators history. And, and I'll combine that with a couple of theories here that I'm floating. I, I think Fabro has been better than he was last year, Dante Fabro. I think Alex Carrier playing in his first full season is not as good as Ryan Ellis when he's fully healthy. So I think the defense took a slight step back. I think the young players, all of the ones that we are celebrating and will celebrate in the future, are still learning how to be sort of professional champion level players. And here's the final, the final theory that I think is really important to notice, or to at least to note. And that is that Dallas is in fifth place with 88 points in the Central Division. They would be basically battling Edmonton for second place in the division if they were in the Pacific. So I think if you take a young team with a bunch of young pieces, a couple of forwards who don't perform well, two defensemen, Carrier and Faber, who are both very young, who've been asked to step into larger roles, where I think the defense has... Where UC Soros has just bailed them out. You said it on San Jose. Like the number of breakaways that UC Soros has saved this year is a- astonishing to me. And so he has saved them so many times bad defensively, bad defense. I think it is a very, very difficult division with a very, very young team. And I think that's sort of a bad break this year. If they were playing in the other division, they'd be they'd be battling right now for a two seed. They'd be one point back of Edmonton for a two seed.
1: Well, when I when I asked John Hines about this last week, like why basically with, if you would have been told at the beginning of the season that all of the things I just listed were happening, you know, don't you think you would probably be in a better situation? And the first thing that he pointed to when trying to, you know, trying to, to, uh, you know, figure it out on his own was the, the, the relative youth of the team, Um, now I think if I recall correctly, things change obviously, but when the opening night rosters were unveiled, I think they had the sixth or seventh youngest team, um, in the NHL, um, based on their opening night lineup, which of course has changed since then. Um, and there are a lot of young players in the lineup. We've gone through them all many times, you know, but the other, the other side of that is you know it still is a veteran laden team with a lot of guys who have been through a lot of big experiences together you know it's it's not like this team is devoid of you know significant experience so yes you know look when you trade a player like how about, how about this how about this
0: when you are number 2 in the NHL in Power play opportunities allowed, like they're not a particularly disciplined hockey team. They're a pretty young team. I think in a playing in a really tough division.
1: What's pretty amazing to me isn't that the equation. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, what's pretty amazing to me, and I looked this up earlier. So the Predators lead the league, which we know in in major penalties. Now that's mostly fighting, but there might be one or two non-fighting majors in there. The NHL, unfortunately does not, you know, separate out majors, but they lead the league with 57 major penalties. I went back and looked, and the last time a team amassed at least 50 majors in a full season was 2011-2012.
0: <laughs>
1: it has been 10 years since an NHL team in a full season has been as penalized in a major way than the Predators have this season. Um and you know, I you know, it it is a really interesting topic, not to get off what we're talking about, but this idea of fighting being, as John Hines put it, a core fabric of this team, and and what's the right and wrong place to fight. Um, I think they yeah. had three fights against the Sharks. Borowiecki had two, and and Cousins had one. I think. Well, and and uh,
0: there was one that was the night of the Pecorine, I think. And you weren't on the show at the time. You were on paternity leave. And I said, I, I bet you there's a, I bet you there's an early fight with Tanner Janot in this game in the first period. Because when you have one of those ceremonies, energy levels can can drop real fast, right? Like you need to, yes. like you've got to sort of like sit through like an hour of stuff. And then, and I go, I bet you there's a fight. And like, those are the moments. It's sort of like a, t- a coach in basketball getting a technical. There's a strategy to it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're absolutely right. There's a strategy to the fighting majors and then, and the stat you tweeted out is ridiculous. 57 majors, but I, I think it's more, th- I think the, in, the un the lack of discipline to me is about that they are not as sound defensively as we are used to seeing in a predators organization and a predators team. Now, the irony of that, of course, is everyone complaining me included about lack of offense for all those years in, in now we're sacrificing that for the offense. And now we're complaining about the defense and I'm not, I, I, I would much rather have this team the way it is now. Cause it's fun to watch, but When you take people like Ellis off this team that do those things and you're replacing them with a guy who's never played a full season before, even though I love Alexander Carrier and I think Fabro's improved, like Granlin's taking bad penalties. Why is Granlin taking bad penalties? He has no excuse to take bad penalties. They've been an quote-unquote undisciplined team, not in a bad way, but just in a youthful way. And when you put that in a great division where you're playing really good teams every single night, other than like Arizona... You know, they still have 89 points. They're, they've already hit the Vegas over for the season. Like, they're already way above expectations. So I think we have to keep that in mind when we talk about, hey, they are who they are. You, you know, like, they're, here's the thing. Here's the thing. All of this, wrapping up this conversation so we can move on. It's going to make for a very fun playoff series. How about that? Like no, I have wait. no I have no clue what's going to happen. They could absolutely win two playoff series, they could get smoked in four games. I don't know. I it's completely unpredictable and wide open because of the kind of team that they are.
1: Yes. And I I'm, and I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at the individual uh individual penalties drawn versus taken and penalty differential. And it's a pretty interesting list. Um I think this is minor penalties only. Um, maybe not. Um, let's see. No, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's full penalties. So which player, would? You, which player do you believe has the highest net penalty differential on the team?
0: So, so number of penalties taken versus like drawn, the number. Of,
1: yes. The number of penalties drawn versus the penalties taken, like who's taken uh, Like the, the, the difference between the two.
0: I was going to say, I can probably guess who's taken the most
1: penalties and it probably involves uh Tanner Janot, <laughs> but, but Tanner, You are correct. Tanner Janot has taken a team high 35 penalties. I have no idea who's
0: drawing the most penalties. I would I mean normally you would guess players like Arvidson, you know, like Forsberg,
1: but I I don't know who's drawn the so, most penalties. So Borvietsky is number one, but I think a lot of that like I think this includes fighting majors, so it's it's a bit skewed. Um the, the player with the highest penalty differential is Nick Cousins. Cousins has drawn 22 and taken 9 um, for, a, for a plus 13, followed by Granlund t- and Forsberg at 12 each. You know, Granlund has drawn 25 and taken 13. Forsberg has drawn 21 and taken 9. Uh, on the far end of the scale, <laughs> Ryan Johansson, is actually has the worst penalty differential. He's drawn nine penalties and taken 25, um, which I find to be interesting. I, 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 I'm hesitating to say that feels on brand. <laughs> it, 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 that's not what I would have... Yeah, I mean, it's not what I would have expected. I mean, I'm just... I'm just I just don't know. You know it, feels on just, brand.
0: it feels on brand.
1: I'm just looking at other players near the bottom. Cunning is at minus 12. He's drawn 16 and taken 28. Janot has drawn 24 and taken 35. Uh, Sissons has drawn five and taken 13. Um,
0: for for a guy who plays the role he plays, that is a lot of like staying out of trouble for Colton Sissons, both good and bad. That's right. That's that's really interesting.
1: What, what do you think Johansson having? I mean, Johansson's taken 20, he has 24 minors in one major. So he's, he's taken 25 penalties. He's only drawn nine. What does that, what does that say to you? You said it's on brand. What does that say to you?
0: I I think if you've watched Ryan Johansson play hockey for the last six years, I I think that's about how you would describe it, right? Like, I I'm I, listen. I I it's hard to say anything negative about Ryan Johansson this year. He's he's earning his contract. He's having his best goal scoring season. He's shooting the puck more. He he is coming up big in big moments. He is playing like a playoff Johansson all season long. But if you told me that the, that Ryan Johansson of all the players on the team, that Ryan Johansson is the guy that that is drawing the fewest amount of penalties while giving a few up. I just, that I, I wouldn't be surprised by that, Adam. That's all I'm saying. That's all. He's had a great year. There's no knock on Ryan Johansson this year. He's, he's played really good hockey. So.
1: I have nothing else to add to this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you're on board with what I'm saying. It sounds like it sounds yes. like you're on board. I with understand what, what you're
1: saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, 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 I got some UC Soros numbers. Is this team rounding into form at the right time? Is UC Soros rounding into form at the right time? Some good playoff matchups, some bad playoff matchups for this team. We're going to take every team in the Western Conference that could be in the playoffs, and we're going to put them into one of two categories. Good matchup for the Preds, bad matchup for the Preds. We'll take a look at a record that's being chased that has nothing to do with the Predators and what the hell is happening in the Eastern Conference. We will do all of that when we return right here on the Gold Standard Podcast. The gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful folks at who Adam Vingen of the athletic Jaspers. That's right. Where kids can be kids. Uh, the where parking the kids is <laughs> the parking is free. The food is great. The happy hours are, are dedicated and committed to you Nashville predators fans. They are for you because if you bought two beers and a burger and parked your car and bought tickets, that would cost you $16 at Jaspers. That'll cost you like $5,000 at Bridgestone arena. I'm just guessing. Rough rough estimate of about $5,000. Um so go to Jasper's instead and watch the games there. They got big TVs, they got air hockey, you can play the air hockey game, they got the shuffleboard. They, they Jen the bartender with two ends, she's amazing. Uh, there's just they got the Gold Standard cocktail that's named after the podcast that we're doing right here that you're listening to. I we've said all the things, Adam. We've said all the things and pretty soon people are going to need a place to watch this team play in the playoffs late at night. <laughs>
1: yeah I'm curious what those uh what those start times will end up oh, being you know I, I can't re- I feel like there were you know the benefit of of the uh, realigned divisions last year was that all of the predators opponents were in the eastern you know yeah, all of their yeah. potential well not yeah. all of them but you know Carolina Tampa and Florida all in the east of course um, well but regular regularly timed games yeah, yeah
0: Minnesota St. Louis and Dallas would all work just fine too. Uh, but that's probably not what's going to happen. So, uh, if you're looking for a place to go at 9 PM on a Tuesday in the playoffs, Jaspers is yeah. your place, man. <laughs> Jaspers is your place. It may not, Calgary may not be as bad as San Jose or Anaheim, uh, or even Vancouver, but it's not going to be much better. It's going to be that late eight nine o'clock central time, start time. You know, it's. It's going to be a lot of like midnight, midnight finishes,
1: <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you thing. know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you need to be on the East coast or the West coast. Like yeah, yeah, when, when the predators would play the sharks or the ducks in the playoffs, they would, you know, the games would be, you know, at normal times on the West coast, you know, it'd be like a 7 PM local time start, which is normal. You know, but when they did when you, they did hit, you just
0: smack yourself in the face?
1: I, I'm try, I'm rubbing my eye and, and maybe <laughs> smacking myself in the face. But, they, but the but the I you know. But with the central teams, you know, having to start games that you know when when they when the NHL tries to make the central teams the second half of the doubleheader, that's uh, what.
0: It my my the least favorite one is the home game because we are basically an Eastern time zone city. Mm-hmm. We are one of the furthest east east cities in the central time zone, and that's really what screws it up. Like, Dallas is way further west, obviously, than we are. Um, but at least that sort of feels like a normal central time zone. Um, I, I, the the only thing that's worse is when you have to do a morning radio show, um, and the games are being played in Anaheim until, until God knows what time. Uh, maybe we can get Jaspers to stay open later for the games. Do you think they could do that? Why not? I think we'll just promise that for our folks, for our fans, for you, the audience. Tweet at Jaspers and ask them if they'll stay open late for those road playoff games that are going to be scheduled for, or home, I guess the home games could be scheduled for 8.30 or 9 o'clock too. So go to Jaspers, great drink specials, great place to eat, great happy hour, grab and go market, game room, all that great stuff. Go to Jaspers, everybody. All right, Adam, let's get into some playoff matchups and some UC Soros talk. We'll talk about some goal scoring in the Eastern Conference for just a few minutes to wrap up the show today. But um, I I wanted to bring up some UC Soros numbers here because we've talked a lot about Roman Yossi lately and Tanner Janot and Matt Duchesne and the goal chase and all the records. And oh, by the way, Roman Yossi, um, I think he had like 18 shot attempts or something like that on Tuesday night, uh, career high. He's going to probably break the single season shot record. By Patrick Hornquist. As a reminder, Adam, I don't know if you know this, but Roman Yossi is a defenseman. Uh, he plays on defense and he's got 250 plus shots he needs to get to 275 to break that record. So he could easily do that uh, this season as well as the 100 points and the single season and, and all that other stuff. But UC Saros, not talked about as much because we just assume how good he is. He is spectacular in breakaways. I cannot remember a goaltender that I feel more comfortable with in breakaway situations than I do with UC Saros. He has 36 wins, which is number one in the NHL. This is his fourth shutout on Tuesday. Um, his goal saved above average is 27.8. Last year, it was a 20.9. Now, some of that's the number of games, but 27.8 is third in the entire NHL, which means he's saving more goals on average than any other goaltender in the league, minus two. Of course, the guy who's going to win the Vesna Trophy for the for the Rangers, right? Uh, Shestakin, I don't know how to say his name. Shestekin shesterkin igor he has a 13.6 goalie points share which those of you don't know it's like an estimate of how many points he has contributed to the team winning as a goaltender which is number one in the entire nhl he has 42 quality starts which is 69 percent of his starts nice which is a career high he's 10th in the nhl in in goals against 2.5 which is actually a little bit low for him a 9.22 save percentage is seventh in the NHL, a little bit low for him. Um, but again, I think he gets. if he gets a couple more wins, he'll become only the second player in Predators history to get to 40 wins. He needs four more of those. Pekka's the only other guy that, to do that. So the question is, he's 7-3 and three over his last 10. This team is a little bit better the last couple of weeks. They're 5-2-1. and one. It is, Are you seeing things from Saros that tells you he is where he needs to be going into the postseason?
1: I've certainly, um, you know, I think the game against the Sharks stands out. We saved the Predators on multiple occasions, especially in that overtime period. Um, And, you know, we were doing a roundtable the other day, uh, myself, Saad Youssef, who covers the Dallas Stars, and Jesse Granger, who covers the Golden Knights. We were doing a Western Conference wildcard race roundtable, and one of the questions we, we asked around the room was what is the one advantage or what is the main advantage that your team has over the others? And for me, it was the goaltender. Um, you know, you know, Robin Leonard is a great goalie. He's been hurt this year. The stars have Jake Gottinger who has a bright future, but he's untested. You know, UC Soros to me, when I look at goaltenders around the Western Conference, you know, there aren't there aren't many that I would take over UC Soros. You know, in the in terms of those that are going to make the playoffs, if you're looking at goalies in the in the Western Conference in goals saved above expected according to Money Puck, UC Saros is number one um, at 26.9. Darcy Kemper in Colorado is number two at 24.3. I'm just doing playoff teams here. St. Louis, Billy Uso is third at 18. Um, and then you have to go down to Jonathan Quick at 14.2. He's the next one. So, like, I,
0: basically, Kemper and Saros are playing at a level that is basically above everybody else in the league except for Shusterkin, which I can't say his name.
1: So, the top five in goals saved above expected in all situations, according to Money Puck. Shusterkin is number one at 31.3. Freddie Anderson in Carolina is two at 30.8. Saros is third at twenty six point nine, Vasilevsky at twenty five point three, and Kemper at twenty four point three.
0: All right, so I'm 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 on Hockey Reference,
1: and it's got every they, they, every every website has its own yeah 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 and algorithm. Now it's got
0: Saros basically at number two, essentially in the entire NHL. But the point is, is that no one else in the Western Conference, like you mentioned, even if they're ranked highly, like Huso's ranked in the top ten, but he's he's like ten goals behind. <laughs>
1: He's, right. It's, so, it's
0: so everyone is so far behind the value that sorrow springs to the table as the Predators goaltender. I agree with you. If you're talking Vegas, Dallas and Nashville, three teams for two spots. Where's their advantage? It's clearly the goaltender.
1: Right. Because when I look at when I look at the stars, when I look at the stars, you know, they have their their first line of uh, Robertson, Hints, and Pavelski is incredible. Um but, you know, and, and, I, and, and, our, and Saad mentioned that he thinks the schedule was the one, the main advantage that the Stars had, at least down the stretch. They have a softer oh, schedule than the other two teams. Um, you know, and then when I look at Vegas, I mean, Vegas is incredibly, it has been incredibly injured. But if you're just looking at a, a, a cast of pure talent, you know, you're not going to find many better, especially up front, than... Yeah, Jack Eichel and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Um, and then on the back end, you've got Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore. You know, I, I think of the, you know, I think Vegas, you know, has, you know, an incredibly talented team. They're just, you know, injury prone. Um, but yeah.
0: So doesn't this, and all this stuff we're talking about with Soros, right? Like the goals saved above the, the metrics, all the averages, the quality starts, the point, the goalie point share, which is number one in the NHL, as I mentioned. He's still giving up 2.5 goals per game. And in the last two months, his last 23 starts, he's given up 2.8 goals per game. Mm 2.76. To me, that's not on him even. This is where it goes back to some young defensemen, a a young offense, a defensive core that's not as sound and maybe as strong. A lot of penalty kills, a lot of penalties, like... To me, the numbers aren't as good for Soros from a standard metric standpoint, like like the the goals saved against and save percentage, like the ones we used to look at in the '90s. Let's say now when we look at the metrics, the, the advanced metrics, he's far more respected. But I think that's why we can be like, hey, you see Soros feels like he's rounding into form, playoff form. He's seven and three in his last ten starts, but he's given up two point seven goals per game. Like two point seven goals per game is like that's not great, <laughs> but it's but it's doing the job right now because. Scoring is up, and this team can score, and and all that other stuff that we we've, we've talked about.
1: So wh- how so how far back are you going with that number? What which which game? Because I'd so, be curious to see what the predators, you know, what the predators' goal differential is in, okay. that, in that time period.
0: So I'll give you a couple different windows. Okay, um, okay. so from February 9th to March seventeenth, he was okay. he was five and eight with a nine oh eight save percentage with a two point eight goals against.
1: March, think, February 9th through March 17th. That, that
0: was sort of their, that was when they were struggling as a team, right? That was, I think their worst stretch of the season where we, we said like for a month and a half, they played bad we were, hockey.
1: They were seven and eight yeah. in that yeah. stretch of time. They were averaging, so they were allowing in that period, 3.13 right. goals per game, but they were scoring 3.53 3 goals right. per game. Right, exactly.
0: So then I, then I looked at his last 10 games. Just as last okay. ten starts, last ten games. He's seven and three with a better save percentage at nine twenty-one, just slightly, but again, two point seven one goals against. So where does well, that
1: where does that what's the threshold? what's the date? That's range? the last
0: ten. That's the last ten. So since well, March so since March seventeenth or whatever.
1: So March seventeenth through now. So or I guess that I'd be the eighteenth, I suppose. But Okay. Or, well, or whatever. Just, so they've played so I've got them a seven, five, and one in that stretch of time. Which (laughs) this is funny. So
0: Riddick was oh two and one.
1: Their goals against and goals for in that thirteen game stretch are identical.
0: They have (laughs) allowed
1: forty-three and scored they have allowed forty-three and scored forty-three.
0: So so this all I say all of this to get to Saros in his last twenty-three starts, nine fourteen save percentage, two seven six allowed. Based on him and even Pekka historically, two seven six and a nine fourteen would not be something we would use as a headline. That's not a, a right home to mama kind of stat line. But when you look at the advanced metrics and you look at the team scoring and what how they're winning games, he still is coming up big in big spots. He did it on th- Tuesday night against San Jose in overtime. We've already mentioned that a million times. Like he, he still is doing the things he's supposed to do. I think it is the rest of the defense and the penalties that are leading to the goals that they're giving up. And some of those are empty, like even Florida, two of them are empty netters, right? So I, I just... I just, to me, it's, I, I don't put it on sorrows that those are the numbers. I put it on, number one, the league is scoring higher across the board. And number two, the, this Predators defense, to me, is one of the worst we've seen in 25 years. That That's it. Like, that's, I don't think it's that complicated, actually.
1: I mean, it is, it is an interesting conversation when you consider, you know, what, you know, what they're allowing, you know, what, what they're supposed to be allowing versus what they're actually allowing. Right so i'm looking at the game preview for tomorrow on sport logic which will be able to tell me that is tell me the, the edmonton things. game
0: which is a preview of a potential second round playoff matchup
1: yeah so the playoff predators so the predators their goals ag- so goals against is i think I, I assume this is per game it says goals against 2.85 which is 12th in the nhl according right. to sport logic their expected goals against is three point zero seven, which is twenty third. There you go. There you go. So, so there's an eleven play. They're, 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 they should be based on their based on their expected goals against. They are a, basically a bottom third team in the league. But their goaltending, like let, let's look at some goaltending numbers here for a second for UC Saro specifically. So his save percentage of nine to one. Seventh slot save percentage, eight fifty four. Eighth inner slot save percentage, eight eleven. Seventh quality starts, thirty. First shutouts, four. Fifth steals, ten. First, see, you know it's you know when you combine when you combine Soros and Riddick, and I guess you can throw Ingram in there too. They've made they have a league high thirty three quality starts among their goaltenders. And 11 steals, which is first. 11 steals. Hinton, according to this, they also have 11 steals.
0: Which means the defense is not doing its job, but the goaltender keeps stealing games. Which is why he's leading the league, UC Soros, in goalie point share. Basically, that that metric says, of their 89 points at time of taping, he's responsible for th- almost 14 of those points. Which is crazy.
1: I mean, that, so, I, that seems about right. And, and, yeah. and, and the... Uh, and you know they're going to have a tough go of it. You know, like you look, like you're looking. I'm looking at the, at the uh, Edmonton offense, um, according oh, to this. They're they're seventh in actual goals and sixth in expected goals. <laughs> right. You know, so they're right. about they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, basically.
0: Okay, so this leads us to our conversation about potential playoff teams. Uh, off of our conversation about Minnesota being a good matchup last week, they've been very good against Minnesota. But because Minnesota and St. Louis are separating themselves in the Central Division, there's very little chance they're going to get to play Minnesota. You know, hopefully it's not St. Louis, because St. Louis has done done very well against them. Dallas, they've, they've beaten Dallas this year, but I don't like the matchup with Dallas in a seven-game series. A lot of this would have to happen in a Stanley Cup final or a, a Western Conference final. But just forget the rounds and forget who they can match up with. I, what I want you to do, Adam, is to put every team in the Western Conference playoffs into a category for me. Good matchup okay. or bad matchup. And right. I'm not talking gonna
1: about how to, you're going to have to list them off for me. I'm, right? I'm, I Just will, I, a team and, I'll, and I'll we'll do like word association. And, and I don't
0: mean to say like Colorado. Okay, they're so good, they're a bad matchup. I'm talking about the actual sort of like how the teams face each other schematically, talent wise, strengths, weaknesses. I'm I'm talking style of play. I, I know Colorado's a great team, and they're a tough matchup. I actually to 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 start the conversation. I actually think Colorado. Is not one of the like I think they match up better with Colorado than a lot of teams do, because of okay. we. But we, if that makes sense, so I'm not putting them in the good category because it's Colorado, but I don't think they go in the bad category because I think they do actually play us a, a style that matches up well with Colorado. If that makes sense, so I'm going to take Colorado off the table. Okay. Minnesota is a good playoff matchup, right? I would agree. How about Edmonton? Good or bad? I think it's a good playoff matchup. I,
1: I I mean I would I would lean that way too. You know, of course, you know, having to face Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl um in a playoff series is is not something that many teams want to do. Um, you know, technically, like this might have been updated, but as I la- as of last week, there were only two pairs of teammates in the NHL with 35 goals each. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and, and Philip and Matt Duchesne so it, you know the thing with the Oilers is you know they have two of the greatest players in the league and you know to his credit Evander Kane has been productive for them since he joined their team I'm not giving that man any credit for anything I understand also <laughs> did you see Ryan Hartman get fined like $4,200 for giving him the bird last night that was cool giving Evander Kane the bird yeah, they got into That's a scrum. Tremendous. They got into a scrum and Hartman uh, gave him the finger as they were being separated and he when, got fined. This, when this I,
0: when I hosted a radio show with Ryan Hartman and he told me he was reading Flea's biography, I, I was I was buddies with Ryan. I I, I was a fan of, <laughs> of Ryan Hartman from the beginning. Um he's also like a great golfer by the way. So Minnesota Edmonton, what do they have in common? Um the only two playoff teams in the Western Conference that are giving up more than 3 goals per game every night. The two worst defensive teams in the league in the
1: Western Conference playoffs: Edmonton and Minnesota. Okay, yeah, and 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 Edmonton, you know, Mike's, you know, Mike Smith is eight hundred years old, (laughs) and he, you know, he's, I think he's doing all right right now. But you know, I, you know, he's a he if you know if I'm looking at okay, which goaltender would I want to face in a playoff series? I think Mike Smith might be near the top of my list. So
0: I'm, I'm, I'm good right now with Minnesota and Edmonton in the good category. Colorado's off the table. St. Louis to me is a bad Bad. matchup.
1: I think it's bad. Yeah. Agree. St. Louis is is rocking and rolling. They're a team that can, you know, historically match up with the predators physically, um, which might neutralize the predators advantage um, in terms of pushing it. You know, Minnesota, you know, in that game they played with the Predators a couple of weeks ago, clearly came in with the idea of trying to to push the Predators around, and it clearly didn't work. Didn't work. No. You know, I think that St. Louis can successfully execute something like that. Yes,
0: I totally uh, agree.
1: And, da- and they've, they've been playing very. They've been playing very well as of late. Yes, they have. Dallas.
0: <sighs> I don't like it. I don't like the matchup. I,
1: I, you know what? You know, I I I think it's. I might lean more towards good, um, Ooh, okay. just just because of you know what's happening in goal for them as well. Um, they're, they're the Predators and the Stars are basically the same team <laughs> in the sense that they they have these flashes where they like look at like you look at the game. They both won one nothing games on Tuesday, um, and the Stars are a team that. Like the Predators get psyched up for big games and, you know, and play well against teams like Tampa, like like the, the Stars did on Tuesday. And then the Stars, you know, go out and lose to the Devils at home on over the weekend. You know, I feel like they're identical. Um, you know, to me, I think that goes back to the advantage in goal. You know, yeah. you, know you know, Braden Holpe's injured and he hasn't been good in years. Um, you know, they've got Jay Gottinger and they've got Scott Wedgwood, who was a trade deadline acquisition, you know, who's been a taxi squad goalie for the last couple of years and he's been playing well, but you know, it reminds me of when the predators played the, I mean, they did, it happened against the ducks in the Western conference final, but it also happened against the avalanche. Like they're playing, you know, Andrew Hammond. You know, it, it got down to like yeah. a third goalie and Hammond had a great game five and stole a game for the for the against the Predators. But, you know, again, you know, yeah. I, 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 would feel, I don't I, would, I don't I, would, I don't I would, like it. I would feel it. a lot more comfortable. Look, like, okay. you know, if you're looking at if you're looking at if you're looking at lines, I I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up line numbers here. So let's see, I, like I'm looking, I I might have to look at actual goals here. So Robertson, Pavelski and Hintz, you know, they have a, they, they've, it's actually not as good as I thought. They've outscored the opponents 45 to 32, um, but they are, they're basically carrying the load and, but I just, okay. I, you know, uh, to me, it comes down, it honestly comes down to, goaltending in that one as well
0: all right i could i could see both i can see both sides good and bad with a dallas matchup because if they get to the western conference finals and play each other then dallas is obviously playing well maybe they have a hot goaltender vegas how does where does vegas fall fully healthy to me they're a bad matchup banged up maybe they're a good matchup i don't know what do you think
1: yeah i mean if there's any one of their big players that's out or multiple then i think it's a good matchup but assuming everybody's healthy and they're able to use yeah. long-term reserve to their advantage, which they have been, you know, between Mark stone and Jack Eichel and Max Pacioretty and Jay Theodore and, you know, on and on and on and on. Yep. Yep. Sure. Um, they are a clearly more talented team than the predators. Okay. Um, I, I totally agree with that. So I would, I would say that's a bad matchup.
0: Okay. Los Angeles Kings.
1: That's a good matchup um especially Ooh, that, was, that was quick that was definitive well, well Drew Dowdy's is out for the rest of the season that's a big loss um Jonathan Quick has been playing you know not quite vintage Jonathan Quick but much better than a player of his age should be playing but this is a team that to me feels ahead of schedule um you okay. know they you know they've got a really bright future uh they've got tons of great prospects um and the fact that they've been in a playoff spot and that they're still in a playoff spot is, a, is, is should, they should be commended for that. Um, but they seem to be faltering a bit down the stretch, and I think the relative inexperience of that team. Look, they still have Andre Kopitar, they still have they still have Dustin Brown, you know, they still have players on that team that won championships. Um, but I think it, it feels like they're not they're not ready yet. I, like I feel like I if they make the playoffs, it's a great story. I just don't think they're ready yet. Like, to me, the Kings now, it's a little bit different because at least the Kings have won championships, but the Kings now feel a little bit like the Avalanche when the Predators played them in the President's Trophy year. Like, yeah. clearly, they're a team on the up, and it's going to be good for the younger players on the team to get the experience, but I don't think they're ready yet. So I, I think the—I I, want to say the Predators would have an easy time with the Kings, but I don't think it would be— a, a, a super close series.
0: Oh, that's a lot of confidence. I, I appreciate that. Um, Which, of course, brings us to, and we're going to see these two match up twice over the course of the next couple of weeks. That brings us to their most likeliest candidate. We talked a lot about this series potential last week on the show. That, that brings up the Calgary Flames. What's fascinating to me is... I think this team, if they get to the second round and beat Calgary in the first round, I agree with you. They will win the second round series against either Edmonton or the Kings.
1: Or it could be the Knights.
0: I guess Let's, it could, yeah. in theory, I guess it could be the Knights. But get whatever, if it's Edmonton or the Kings, I really like their chances to get to the Western Conference Finals.
1: Uh, but- that's what I, I mean, I think that as well. Like, to me, if someone were to ask me which team would you think, which if you had to choose which team the Predators could play, I would say Calgary, almost because of exactly what you said. Like, if they can get past Calgary, I think a matchup against one of the other teams in the Pacific would be, quote-unquote, easier than Colorado. Than, than Colorado or... St. Louis. St. Louis or Minnesota. Would.
0: I, I would take Minnesota first over everybody. Yes. I, I, but the problem is if you get into that slot and play Minnesota, and they're a two-seed and you're a three-seed, you then have to play Colorado the next round. You're, you have to play Colorado the next round because they're not going to... I can't imagine Colorado losing in the first round. So I, I don't actually hate the path. The question is Calgary Flames. Good matchup, bad matchup for the Nashville Predators.
1: I don't like it. I mean, I think there's this sentiment because of how good Colorado is. I think there is this sentiment that the Flames are like a, a clear second in the Western Conference. I don't I don't agree with that. You know, one, one way to look at a team, you know, wh- you know, looking at an expected, looking at expected goals, I'm looking at money puck right now.
0: I, I think St. Louis is the second best team in the, in the West. The
1: flames, the flames, they're the only two teams that have a higher expected goal percentage than the, than the, than the flames are the Panthers and the Bruins. Like they are a really good team. They're getting their, their star players are, are playing fabulously. Markstrom's been solid in net, you know, Daryl Sutter you know Daryl Sutter is coaching them like he coached the Kings and and they're playing a, a solid you know defensive game but also scoring you know I haven't seen Calgary a lot and that's what we talked about last week like seeing Calgary the next couple of weeks is going to be pretty eye-opening yep um if if, so, they are,
0: if they are as good defensively as those Kings teams you're talking about then it's a bad matchup
1: right Which I measures? I think I you know I, I'd have to look at I'd have to look at where the teams rank, where they rank in goals for and against um I don't think it's a good matchup Um, you know, I think the Predators, if they make the playoffs and they draw Colorado or Calgary, the Predators are going to be a significant underdog, like, you know, in terms of, you know, betting lines and predictions and and what happened. So let me, let me see. I'm looking right now. So the Calgary Flames are the sixth highest scoring team in the league at 3.51 goals per game. They are the second best defensive team at <laughs> two point four seven. So they are a top ten team in goals for and against. Yeah, that's the problem. Yes, that's yeah, that's, that's a problem. The, I mean, yeah, Colorado is mean, they're, was they're, two. they're a division
0: champion. Like, what are you? Of course,
1: they're going to. I be mean, Colorado is two. You know, but I, I I think this idea that Calgary, like, oh, I got it. I don't want to play the Avalanche. I'd rather play the Flames. I think if you're, I think. For me, it's about, you know, who they would play after Calgary if they were able to get past Calgary.
0: Like Colorado, I I think your point is valid. Like like Calgary, Colorado doesn't scare me significantly more than Calgary does, to your point. But I agree. I would not want to go. I don't think this team can win two series against St. Louis and Colorado. I think the St. Louis-Colorado path is far more difficult or even Colorado St. Louis path is far more difficult than Calgary Edmonton or Calgary Kings. Like like I just it, it's about the second round matchup that gives me excitement. I they could absolutely get smoked by Calgary. There's no question about that. So, uh, for now we're going to put it in the bad matchup category because I want to touch on Austin Matthews here before we wrap up. First of all, the Eastern Conference. I've never seen anything in any sport like this. Maybe the NBA sometimes is like this, but I've never seen a, an NHL season where the eight teams that are good be, became like the top eight teams in the conference and just sat there for the entire season. The way the Eastern Conference has played out, I, I can't remember anything like it. I, I just yeah. there are eight bad yeah. teams, there are eight good teams, and it's been that way for like five months. I, I can't remember anything like that.
1: It's yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, look, there are still there are still um, battles to be waged um, in the Eastern Conference. Um, I pulled up their standings right now. Um, the Panthers are pretty clear in terms of winning the Atlantic Division. The Maple Leafs have 100 points. The Lightning have 96. Um, the Bruins have 95. So there are teams um, that are still jockeying for position, and it's the same in the in the Metropolitan Division as well. It's just
0: it, it's just comp- it's. Totally ridiculous and insane. I, I don't really have any, like, you know, major points to make. I want to move on to Austin Matthews here. It's just weird. It's just a weird phenomenon that that, that has taken place in the Eastern Conference. So let, let me quickly wrap up the show with Austin Matthews. Now, just to put into perspective what he's accomplishing, American-born, of course, uh, 58 goals this season. Um, Alexander Ovechkin scored 65 in 2008. Steven Stamko scored 60 in 2012. If he scores two more goals, which we assume he will, and get to 60, he will become only the third player since the turn of the century to score 60 goals. Only three times has it happened. No one has, only eight players have ever scored 70, and no one has done that since 1993. And the list of people on that on, on, in that category are like Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hull, Mario Lemieux, you know Yari Curry, Temu Solani, and Alexander Mogilny. Like those are the people that have done seventy goals in a season, which is absurd. And it's not out of the question that he could get to like high sixties, right? Sixty six, sixty seven, sixty eight. And of which, of course, Toronto fans would then be very upset about his two game suspension <laughs> during the middle of the year. Uh, I just want to I just want to point it out that we've got a guy that scored fifty eight goals in the NHL this year. And while we're we're tracking all these Preds records, and it's been fun that an American-born player is going to get to 60 goals this season is, I think, a pretty cool story. And I, I just wanted to point it out and say, look at look at where he's at historically. It's a pretty big number he's put, putting up this year.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, he got 50, I think he did 51 and 50. I mean, to get score 50 goals in 50 games is something that's been rarely done in the NHL as well. I was looking for the list, but I couldn't find it. You know, but he's having a fabulous season. And it all comes down to, of course, whether or not the <laughs> Maple Leafs can win a first round playoff series, which they haven't done in, in a long time. Um, so there is a lot of pressure on, on on Matthews and his teammates. But, you know, to me, the Hart Trophy has basically been decided. With all due respect to the other candidates, you know, Austin Matthews to me is the, is the clear, you know, I don't know if it's going to be unanimous like it was last year with Connor McDavid. You're a voter. Uh, You're a voter, right? I am a voter. Yes. Yeah. And, and wow. I think Matthews what- is a fair choice.
0: So number one, Austin Matthews Number two, Roman Yossi Number three, UC Saros for your ballot
1: huh. I mean, if the Predators make the playoffs I mean, I think Roman is going to be on my heart Trophy ballot I don't know where But I, I, I think appreciate that.
0: I appreciate your honesty Anyway, cool to watch an American-born player do what he's doing And score the goals he's scoring And be in conversations with the people he's in conversations with And it uh, should be interesting to watch the rest of the way Everybody out there, watch Predators games at Jaspers the Parking is free The drink specials for Nashville Predators games are spectacular. If you go take a photo, tweet it out, tag Jaspers, tag 440, tag us all, tag Adam. Uh, We really appreciate it. Drink a gold standard. uh, Support the athletic. Pay for good journalism. I think I covered it all there, Adam. Did I get it all? I think I did. Yes. Um, You know, I think that's it. I I think that's good for us this week. We'll be back next week hanging out with you guys. For Adam Vingen, my name is Brayden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. Subscribe, push all the buttons, share the product. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week, guys. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.